This is One Bills Live, presented by Kaleida Health. All right, here we are on a beautiful Tuesday in western New York. Chris Brown, Steve Tasker with you. I should be for, a, for the should, last pre-camp right. edition. I should be on a golf course day before training camp starts. Of One Bills and Live. beautiful out. And here we sit. It is me. lovely. It's beautiful um, out. It's prime time here in western New York. Uh, which makes attending training camp all the more enjoyable. Um, yeah. You know, we'll get into our topic of discussion here, which is training camp related in just a little bit. But <laughs> Steve and I were talking about this before we came on the show. Best part about training camp for us, get to wear shorts to work. Yeah. That's pretty good. Get to dress like normal human beings. Yeah, nice little great. perk. Great perk. And, you know, the, it's fun, too, because there's something going on besides us you know we've been the only act we've been the only light on in this building for yeah. like a month and now finally this yesterday and today and now tomorrow of course it, you know the lights come back on people start showing up um it's, it's awesome it, you know we got we got a sneak peek brownie and i got a sneak peek of the embedded episode that's coming out uh tonight t- tonight uh we got to watch that today really it's good i gotta say it's good those guys do a great job um putting that together it's fun you get a chance to see Dalton Kincaid and Dawson Knox hanging out Josh and all his offseason antics a lot of fun so there's a lot of finally it's not just you and me here you know keeping you know keeping the pipes from freezing and all of that stuff in the offseason uh everybody shows up and now there's a lot going on it's gonna be fun tomorrow I can't wait yeah, the first practice is scheduled for 9.45. Coach McDermott will address the media about an hour prior to that to kick off training camp. And, you know, if you've been cruising around social media, you could see our fine folks on the social media end of things with the Buffalo Bills. They're there already filming the walk-ups and check-ins of all the players reporting to camp today. You know, they'll have their physicals. They'll presumably be a conditioning test. Which, which brings me to this other subject, Steve. You know, as a uh, former professional athlete, what was, <laughs> what was the worst conditioning test that you can remember that you just dreaded? Even though you knew you were in shape, you didn't look forward to it. Well, like there was, I, I shouldn't say that. There was a little anxiety about nothing it. Nothing in the pros. Nothing in the pros. I was no, no, because we, um, I was always one of those guys that hung. I mean, you know, we moved above. I've been, I'm a lifer here, like right. so. We got picked up off waivers in November of '86. I never, I haven't left yet, right? I mean, I'm still here. Uh, so we lived here in the off season. So I would do all that testing in the lead up to camp, so I'd get it out of the way. So because you when they had 90 guys show up, you know, there's all that stuff. So you could do it here before you reported right. to camp. Yeah, we'd do it like on, like we would do it yesterday and today, or maybe last Thursday or Friday. Okay. Coming leading in, so when well, they, was there ever a test that you had to get ready for that you're like, oh man, I like, I know I'm in shape and I can, you know, do this. It was different, but is there a yeah? It was different because they didn't say okay, like in college, like what I'm talking about is in college. In college, they say okay, you got to run this in this time, or you're gonna, you know, suffer the consequences, whatever those might yeah. those things might be. Here, you show up and say okay. Here's the bench. Here's this much weight. Let's. How many times can you do it? Let's see it. You know. And then yeah. they just you they measure you against yourself here at the pro level. 
Gotcha. They don't have this from the previous like, year. Or? All the wide receivers must run this time and this distance, or otherwise you're not an NFL quality athlete. You know, it's none of that yeah. going on. It's like, okay, what's your best time? What's your best weight? You know, lift, stretch, run, jump, whatever testing they have. Where you at? How you doing? And that's that's it. You got to be your best. Yeah. Is the attitude here now? There's no threshold or minimum that you got to meet. There usually. Was, <laughs> did you ever have to do the Cooper run? I don't know what that is, so yeah. I guess not. Yeah, that was the one that I dreaded. I had to do it all through high school, and then after I finished high school, and this is for soccer. After I finished high school, I go to college. I'm like, oh man, I, I, I wonder what the training is going to be. You know, what does my college coach have us do? The Cooper run. What's a Cooper run? So it's a it's a run. It's a distance run that determines your level of fitness, particularly for soccer. It's two miles in under twelve minutes. Oh yeah, yeah. No. So if you, yeah, yeah. I, I could. I used I couldn't to have, have done that. I couldn't have done that as an. I used oh. to have a lot of anxiety about that. Now I always hit the time. Right. But you got to push yourself to hit oh, the yeah. time. Now, you if me? you're a cross country runner. Or you're a That's track nothing. guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's not a big deal. But, but for weight. other athletes, you know, that well, have cardiovascular demands put on right. them, you know, football is obviously different from some of the other sports because it's high intensity for short periods of time. You know, there are, there are rarely NFL plays that go more than seven seconds in right. length. But it's at 100 miles per hour right. every single time. That's Yeah, that's where the tests you For like 65 thing. times. You know, you know, you bring that up. The one test I do remember was like that. It was on a treadmill okay. at, I think, a certain an degree. Incline. An incline. And it was like 18 or 20 miles an hour. It was, it was a flat and you out had to sprint. sustain it for as long as you could? As or? long as you could. That's it. Okay. Going to failure. Yeah. You know, finger quotes, right, failure. Right, right, So, you know, you hop on and go. And, dude, yeah, that was a crusher. Yeah. I mean, and he – and liability-wise, Rusty Jones, who's the strength conditioning coach, he goes, I got to tell you, he goes, he goes, this is da- – he goes, dangerous. He goes, you could – you could you face plant on the treadmill. Yes, you could do that, or you could have a cardiac event too. Oh. So just in case. So you – it's dangerous, but this is what we want you to try. So it's like, yeah, okay. <laughs> and what that, do we know? That's the trainer disclaimer. I'll, in our mentality, it was like, yeah, yeah watch me. I'm right? bulletproof. Watch this. Yeah. So, um, yeah, that was – and, the, you know, so I did – I think I did 90, 95 seconds like that. Wow. And – That's going, man. Oh, it – dude, I wasn't right for hours after I finished. For 90 seconds. You can't I, catch your I breath for right. like – Five ten minutes. I wasn't probably. right for a long time after that test. Yeah, I was, and I don't mean just like not feeling it. Like I mean dizzy, I was like, I was lightheaded. Like, like yeah, like when I come out of this, Rusty, I'm gonna strangle you, <laughs> kind of thing. <laughs> when when I am fit to do so, <laughs> when I am fit to when I am recovered, when I feel better, when I feel when good enough, recovered, we are going to trade places. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, choke was, you out. <laughs> I hate you. Yeah. Um, but that's the only one I ever remember. Yeah. In college, we had to run a mile in like, you know, six minutes or something as receivers. We and had everything. to do and, two and I, six. And, and I, was... it, listen, yeah, I couldn't. And that was the thing. I couldn't like, run another step. You had to develop a strategy for that, too, because even if you were in shape, you have to time yeah. the laps out properly right. to leave yourself enough cushion 
knowing you're going to be more tired on lap seven yeah, you gotta than run you are the, on lap one or two. You got to run that first quarter in like six. Five and a half. Yeah, right. You got to run that first mile in like five and a half. Like right. five, you got to leave yourself some cushion. Yeah. Because the second mile is not going to be as fast. It's just right. not. Right. I don't care what kind That's, of shape you're in. Yeah. That, it's crazy. I used and, to – I'd be awake at night thinking so you're, that you're younger. Thing. I hated I, that. I'm, I'm of the Ed generation. Before, there was no – sports science was, you know, like you got an owie, you like tape an aspirin to it. You know, that kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, you know, you don't you – don't, what are you talking about? You no, know, you don't get water. What are you kidding me? You, you know, you almost had to go out there and prove how – Dehydrated, dehydrated, and 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 crazy. Coach, you my can whole be. lower half is cramping. Right, stretch it out and get back out there. Right, yeah, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So, if you can't fix it with tape and band aids, you know you're not tough enough to play. Yeah. So that was kind of the sports science world when I started playing, and and it, you know now it's yeah. they're they're way smarter. Uh, some Bills news to pass along. These are just reports, nothing confirmed by the team. But the players that reportedly worked out yesterday are expected to be signed by the Bills. Again, nothing official from the team, but there are multiple reports out there that former Titans and Bears running back Darrington Evans, who has kick return experience, by the way, is going to sign with the team. This presumably in the wake of the Naheem Hines injury a non-football injury, and uh, former NFL tight end and current USFL tight end Jay Sternberger also expected to sign with the club here, and we would presume if these, in fact, are accurate, this will be in short order, knowing training camp opens tomorrow. So we stand by and wait to see if and when those two reported signings become official uh, to add to the roster, and we'll have to see some Naturally, a roster spot can be created by the injury suffered by Hines. How is the other spot opened up if, in fact, both of these players sign with the club here in the coming hours today, yeah, we would think? It's so hard to keep up with who's in, who's out, because at this time of training camp, a lot of coaches, um, well, a lot of them, most of them know exactly what they're looking at when they see these rosters. Mm-hmm. They get their guys out there, they start running them through drills, and they have a, And every night the coaching staff gets together and has a no-holds-barred, very frank conversation about where these guys are and if they're going to be able to do it. And a coach, and they'll, and they'll go down every guy in their position group and say, and they'll get to the, you know, the bottom of the roster, and they'll say, yeah, he's – he is not going to make it. He is just not fast enough. He's not good enough. He doesn't have the work, whatever that is. He doesn't have the work ethic. He's been lazy. I got to keep after him all the time. Da da da. And those guys the next day are gone. And there is another guy in their place. Period. That's mm-hmm. the way it works. And it happens fast in training camp. I mean, you, you've seen it. I mean, we we've got these roster cards, and you can't keep them up to date day to day. You can't keep them up to date. So these guys coming in today, a roster spot is a fluid proposition on any given day, particularly a day or two, 48 hours before training camp starts. Yeah, so just for those that didn't watch the USFL season this past spring, Sternberger was a productive player. I think it was an eight-game season, if I remember right. And Sternberger had seven touchdowns, which led the league and also had 517 receiving yards, which was fourth in the league. So that likely opened up eyeballs here at One Bills Drive to at least give him a look-see, and he's earned his way into a a training camp on a pretty prominent club. 
uh, here in Buffalo if, in fact, that yeah. signing goes through. So, and, and if that signing goes through as well, Steve, you know, I know we touched on this briefly yesterday, but the tight end position, if, in fact, we are going to see more two tight end sets from this club by virtue of Dawson Knox and top pick Dalton Kincaid being on the roster, the total number at that position would presumably be larger when they put the 53-man roster together just by virtue of needing a backup for each of those two guys. Otherwise, right. you got to dramatically change your offense if you don't have proper backups who you feel can fill the role. Right. they got five on the roster now. That gives them six if Sternberger does sign, if he does sign. Unless they have to lop one off to add him. Yeah. It might not be at the tight end position. It could be somewhere else. Yeah. I'm, if they, that's six guys for what? Are we talking maybe Brownie four four guys on the roster? Yeah, I think in in recent years it's only been three. I think that yes, changes but they also this had but they also Gilliam. had Reggie Gilliam. I think Gilliam still got a chance to make the roster because he's such an important yeah. special teams player. Yeah, and he's a big body. Yeah, and, and he's, he's versatile. And he's versatile. So he's kind of an H back kind of guy. I mean, he just which signed means... an extension last year. I mean, right. I don't think that so guy's like going him. anywhere. They like he he offers a lot, so he can be a swing guy between running back slash fullback slash tight end, mm-hmm. uh, and give them some flexibility on game day if they want to go light at tight end once and go three tight ends, and maybe have Gilliam be a safety fill in. Yeah. Right, he can finish the game. Um, but even so, you're going to have four full fledged. Nothing but tight ends. Right, which then begs the question: Where, where, what other position are you robbing from to create yeah. that extra spot? From what you, what your roster has looked like in recent years, which is yeah. usually just three tight ends, and there still might be another on the practice squad. Yeah, you know whether it's that undrafted kid Joel. Or Wilson. maybe they go, maybe they go two on the practice squad, and you know go light at tight end on game yeah. day. I don't know. It we'll depends. have to see, but it, but. Making another addition at the position, if in fact that signing goes through, I, I think it just points to the increased importance of that position within the scope of this offense right. this year as opposed to recent years. Yeah, I think I'm, I'm, I'm with you. When, the moment I heard this, they're working Sternberger out and you start looking at his stats and it's like, oh, my gosh, they're. It and seems, the USFL is not the NFL, but right. it's going to get him a. Ch- it gives him an opportunity. But that it seems like where He's there's smoke, where there's smoke, pick. there's fire, and there's smoke coming out of the tight end room. It looks right. like they're going to, you know what I mean? They're yep. That, yep. that they're getting pumped up over there. Yep. So, I'm I'm really interested to see these practice reps. Yeah, and how they're divided, and the pecking order, et cetera, yes, et cetera, exactly. et cetera. That's one of the small joys of training camp. <laughs> Uh, let's go around the NFL, presented by Collider Health, the official health care system of the Buffalo Bills. And we begin with good news for the Giants, as they have reached an agreement on a one-year deal with Saquon Barkley, their franchise running back. It's essentially his franchise tag deal with some tweaks. According to ESPN's Adam Schefter, Barkley's new one-year deal with the Giants is worth 10.1 fully guaranteed, including a $2 million upfront signing bonus, and then the deal includes $1 million in additional incentives with an equal amount paid for 1,300 rushing yards, 11 touchdowns, and 65 receptions. Those are the benchmarks he has to hit. So that, that, so $333,000 and change. If, 
if he hits one of those benchmarks, if he hits all three, he gets a million. So Barkley will be in camp, he reported today. So that's a bullet dodged by the Giants on a guy that has been the focal point of the offense, let's be honest. I mean, let's, they, the only guy back, it's, it's Daniel Jones back there by himself without Saquon, and that is not where the Giants want to be. I don't care how well the guy played yeah. last year or how much money they're paying him. He needs help. And I'll say this, too. The best part about this for the Giants, certainly they get Saquon in there, but I, I think the football side was probably counting on him being in there anyway because of the tag and how that works. But I think the best part about it is now they can talk about football and not Saquon Barkley. Right. Because um, this was going to – you know how we've all seen it from here in Buffalo and – it would get exhausting having Saquon Barkley either hold in or hold out, um, whichever the case may be. If he held in and wouldn't, wasn't working and didn't, would just end just so he didn't get fined, it would be an absolute train wreck over there. Yeah. So having him sign the deal and come in and he's going to play this year, it's a one-year deal, and he's going to be a free agent. So Saquon Barkley. Unless Bar- they tag him again. I don't think they can. After they the, can. After the contract? Okay. They, told, they said there is no clause in this deal that says they can't tag him again next year. But it's even so, if they tag him again next year and all that, there's no way Saquon Barkley finishes his career as a giant, in my opinion. If they tag him With again, you're deal. saying? Even if they, don't, if they don't tag him, obviously. Yeah. But even if they do. You th- I'm just wondering if they tag him again, if that causes further consternation. He's going to get to free. He's going to damages free the relationship beyond repair. Well, I don't know if it's damaged or not, but he ain't going to stay there. If they're not going to pay him that, cause somebody, somebody will. Maybe, you know, there's going to be a team out there with some cap. Will it be? He'll be 27 next year. I want to say. Yeah. He's getting to that. He's got three years to, before he hits the cliff. Well, the cliff is 28, according to advanced uh, analytics, okay. but there anyway. are exceptions. Anyway, I'm, I'm and just he saying, might be one. Yeah. I'm just saying, he doesn't finish his career as a giant. Okay. That's not a given. He has said he wants to be a giant for life. The Giants have said that we would like that yeah. also. And DeAndre Hopkins wanted to go to a contender, too. Well, right. So, right. Yeah. Business sometimes changes people's desires. Uh, a big contract under the radar signed out in Seattle by pass rusher Uchenna Iwosu. Three years, $45 million. Had a breakout season last year. Young player uh, who really doesn't play in the spotlight, you know, out there in Seattle. I'm sure out west everybody knows him, but mm-hmm. this side of the country, less so. So nice deal for him, affordable deal for the Seahawks. So that's good for them. Meanwhile, the Raiders signed a big name that was still out there in free agency, and they needed help. Uh, an agreement was reached with former Pro Bowl cornerback Marcus Peters who everybody remembers is a former Baltimore Raven, gets a one-year deal. And I think the reason Peters is so attractive to the Raiders, Steve, is his interception production. He's had at least four picks since 2015 every single season. Do you know who finished last in interceptions in the league last year? I think the Raiders. The Raiders. They were last in the league in interceptions. Yeah, and that was – They could use all the help they can get, and that's a pretty good guy to get this late in the game. He's – a. He was as impressive an athlete as you're ever going to come across in his prime. And he's certainly got some stuff in the tank, particularly now with when he's got a you know neck deep in experience as well as uh, what he's got left physically in the tank. So, yeah, he's it's a good get for them, I think, at this point. I mean, 
Remember a month ago, we we're looking at all the names that were still floating out there in free agency. Right. I was, you know, there were some sizable names out. There's like, wow, yeah. it was. That's a good get, it's, you know, in late July. I think you have. There, there is a little bit of this, you know, have and have nots. The guys that are, you know, that are hitting the home runs are hitting their career and their contract situation just at the right time. Yeah. A little bit of it is it's all leverage. And a and, lot of it's timing, too. Like, right. have the big season in the last year of your deal. Don't get injured, you know, in the last year of your deal. That, you know, circumstance yes. and timing. Exactly. Circumstance and timing. And the players have, in some cases, the players have a lot of leverage. In other cases, they do not. Saquon Barkley, the running backs, Jonathan Taylor, um, those guys don't have any leverage. Um, we talked about it at length. It's the, I think it's one of the major stories of this offseason around the NFL is the fact that, Everybody's looking down their noses at running backs like they're a dime a dozen because they kind of are. And the difference between elite guys like Saquon Barkley and Jonathan Taylor and the rest is not significant enough to warrant them getting an off-the-charts contract. The other interesting development we've seen has happened again. We'll talk about the previous example, but Buccaneers linebacker Devin White who requested a trade this offseason while hoping for a contract extension that did not come together, is reporting to training camp today with the rest of his teammates. There was another player, veteran player, proven player, Buda Baker of the Cardinals. He asked for a trade. That didn't happen. And then he comes back to reports to camp with his tail between his legs. I, I don't know if there are enough examples now, but I got to believe when you see players the caliber of a Devin White – and a Buda Baker unsuccessfully negotiate their way out of where they're currently employed by asking for a trade and nothing happening, it makes you think, is that even a card to play anymore in the NFL? Well, if you're a quarterback, I think you can play that card. But because there's always demand for and you're worth your salt. Sure. You know, there's always demand for quarterbacks. But man, I don't know if some of these other guys are not finding their way out of a situation they don't want to be a part of, and they end up having to stay where they are. Right, and I think some of it is in the past you see guys ask for trades. There's some In the past there have been guys who have evolved into a place in the franchise where they can make a big stink during the season and cause problems for the whole fr- – and now teams are – their cultures and things like – you know, like the Bills here, they're set up to handle guys like that. So you can't like leverage your way out just because you want to go. They say, "Well, we only want guys that are want that really want to play here. We only want guys who want to play in Buffalo. Or we only want guys who want to play in Houston. Or we only want guys who want to be here with the Bears, you know, in Chicago and the, you know, name your team. We only want guys like that." Now it's falling more and more on these coaching staff. Say, "Listen, you got a guy here who's unhappy. You bet, you know, you got to get your arms around him and see if you can't get him to buy in. That's your job." And coaches are taking it upon themselves to do that and to make these guys work and be a productive part of it. Doesn't mean a guy can't be a, a big enough donkey that they really finally do have to get rid of him. <laughs> but it's harder now. It's harder. And, you know, like, and the Bills are a perfect example. This, you know, this Steph Diggs thing that, every, that we would all, or the meat, not us, but the media at large would love to blow that up and have this one guy blow the entire thing up. It's just not going to happen. It's not going to happen. I mean, Sean McDermott and 
and Steph Diggs and Josh Allen, Brandon, those guys are in lockstep. And the culture just allows you to absorb that and, and handle it when it comes up, not bail on it, you know? Um, so that's, it's hard for these guys to squeak loud enough or be so discontented that they force their way out because when push comes to shove, they're still making good money, most of them. Right. And I mean, there's worse situations you could. That's be in. right. And they're saying, "Listen, you no." And plus, what are we going to do? We can't cut you. We're not cutting you. And who you you pick where you want to go? You think they're going to say yes now? You know, nobody's nobody's got cap space, and nobody's going to give us a. We're not going to take a sixth for you. You know what I mean? Right. So they got to find a trade partner. So they'll they'll you know if, if they try and work with them and then the, the player sees that their the interest just isn't there, it's like you know what I maybe maybe I'm not that unhappy here, yeah. kind of thing. So I it, and it runs the it runs the spectrum from all of that from the guy is a complete donkey and they do get rid of him to no 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 we're gonna make it work here and you're gonna like it here and let's go and it goes and there's everything in between of that and every guy's different, but for the most part these coaching staffs. And organizations are learning how to deal with this stuff in a way through the agent, through that, through conversation, and just sitting down talking the guy through it to get him back on your side. And it works really well. Yeah. There is kicker news in the league as well. The Washington Commanders signed veteran kicker Michael Badgley after he was a surprise cut by the Detroit Lions, where he was 20-24 on field goal attempts last season. He worked out for Washington and is expected to become competition for veteran Joey Sly, who's been the kicker for the Commanders the last few years. Um, So even though Badgley has a team again, he's got a competition on his hands. And so I tried to remember. I said, who the the heck does Detroit have kicking for them? It's Riley Patterson, who was on their roster in 2021, and then kicked for Jacksonville last year and killed it. He was 30 of 35 last season, including, let me see here, he was 12 for 16 from 40 yards plus, which is pretty good. Um, So they're going with a young kid at the position. And, okay, like, I know, it's not giant news, but, you know, we've heard of Michael Badgley. He's like a veteran kicker in the league. He's been a pretty consistent player. And clearly Detroit's going upside with the young kid. Well, yeah, you can't you don't do that on a whim, so certainly the kid's been kicking well so far, right? They're not gonna make this move right before bigger leg. Camp. He's bigger leg, yeah, all that stuff. Kickoffs probably have a little workout for it. And he's probably got the the special teams coordinator of Detroit in his pocket too, probably saying, you know what, the kid's pretty good. Let's give him a shot at it. I'm I feel good about it. He's got the right to, you know, everything. Checks all the boxes so far. There's no reason to think when he gets in a real game, a live game, that he's not going to do it. So let's go cheaper and bigger upside. That's right. That's it. That's the other thing to think about, the rookie contract. You're 100% right on that. Finally, last bit of news, Cowboys six-time All-Pro guard and team captain, Zach Martin who has been unhappy about the team's lack of interest in restructuring his contract, has not reported for training camp. That uh, being reported by Adam Schefter. So we'll see where that goes. Mm. It's tough, man. 
If you're an interior offensive lineman, I don't know that you got a lot of leverage. I hate to say it. The guy's a six-time All-Pro. He is. He's been All-Pro every year. He's been. He is almost. I mean, the guy's a the guy's a monster. Um, he, and let's face, it, he played on the other side of Connor McGovern down there in Dallas. I mean, that's you got to do it when you got leverage. And he's the best. He's probably their best offensive lineman, without question. He's already making good money. He's well, not making right. elite money at that position. So he's making like $14 million, something like that. He's making $13 million and the and the top end is 20 hmm. So he's down a bit. But he want, And he just wants to restructure. He doesn't even want, like, an extension. Well, <laughs> Clearly he wants more upfront money to get put in his pocket. Maybe... <laughs> Maybe he's worried that he's going to get clipped. A friend of mine used to say, well, hey, I want a pony. <laughs> you know, get what you want. That's right. <laughs> Topic of discussion today deals with training camp. As a Bills fan, what's your favorite part about attending training camp? Or do you have a training camp memory for us that still sticks in your head and makes you crack a smile? You know, maybe it's something that made you laugh. Maybe it was an unusual circumstance that you witnessed at training camp. Uh, or maybe it was, you know, something you never thought would happen, and then it did at training camp. Because this is really the most extensive period of time where fans can be up close and personal with players. Because obviously they don't attend practice during the season. And even if you get in the stadium early on a game day to try to get down by the rail in an effort to get a player's attention and maybe get an autograph or something – even that is somewhat unlikely to you right. know, materialize for you. So you let us know at 803-0550, 1-888-550-2550. As a Bills fan, what is your favorite part about attending training camp? We will take a break here, but we've got your phone calls coming up next here on One Bills Live, presented by Collada Health. It's Buffalo Bills Radio. All right, everybody, uh, let us know your favorite part about attending Bill's training camp. Maybe you got a cool memory you want to share. Fire it off at us, 803-0550, Something crazy you saw at training camp would also apply here. I got a couple of things I'm going to mention when we get a chance to do so, but we do want to get to the phones at 803-0550, the number to call. Got open lines for you, but we lead off. With Jack in Cheektowaga. What do you got for us, Jack? You're on One Bills Live. Well, first of all, I'm a, an old timer. Uh, I'm 77 now, and I've been connected with season tickets since that very first season. And I know it predates both of you guys and probably anybody on your staff. But the Camelot Inn in Hamburg was, I believe, the site of the first. Bill's training camp. And I remember being 14, 15 years old and riding out there with friends to see, wow, what's this new pro team going to be like? And being kind of underwhelmed with the facilities. Now, I know we've been on college campuses, Fredonia, uh, St. John Fisher, 
since then. And but they were they are much more organized and and better now. But back in that we're talking pre 1960 before the first season. I mean the Bills looked like the Detroit Lions light. They had the Carolina blue type jerseys and mm-hmm. silver helmets. And the Camelot Inn was not the most impressive facility. Um, and I just think we all left with the impression of, boy, what are we going to get in this first season, given the rather humble beginnings in, in that first training camp? Uh, I'm wondering if there's any archival film out there that you guys might have access to that would show any of the preseason training at the Camelot Inn. I'm going to hang yeah, up. And the Camelot Inn, I think, I don't know if it was in Hamburg or whether it's Blaisdell technically, but, yeah, it's right over there off the 90 now, and it was, uh, it's all been redeveloped now. But it was that was still standing when I actually got in town 35-plus years ago. Um, they also trained at the Roycroft Inn and the Polo Fields in East Aurora for a season or two, and that might have been uh, – yeah, that was that was in the '60s with Jack Kemp and those guys too. And then so up at Niagara University. Niagara, yeah, so and they then Fredonia. Then they were in Fredonia for a long time. Um, so yeah, there's a lot of people who remember that. I know there's locals over in EA that still talk about going down, and <laughs> they're like you. They're in their mid to late '70s, talking about going down, and uh, you know, like Jack Kemp and Cookie Gilchrist and those guys hopping onto a bus and getting shuttled out to the edge of town for practice. So, um, <laughs> it was yeah, different. it was it was. Very different. Uh, it was rough. It was, you know, wooden plank benches and buckets of water instead of coolers of water. It was pretty primitive by today's standards. But certainly it was a, a chance to be way more up close and personal with those guys than uh, anything you'll find today, even if you can manage to get tickets to a Bills practice. Um and as highly in demand as they are. So, yeah, back in the day, I mean, you had, we were standing there practicing 10 or 15 feet from a, a snow fence. Yeah. A tr- temporary snow fence. A fan line snow fence. Yeah, and there was a lot of fans there. Mm-hmm. Uh, not a, a lot of them, not a lot of them in the late 80, mid 86. 87 was my first one, 87, 88. Then in 89, it started to pick up. And of course, then in 90, you couldn't get near the place, yeah, you know. People coming so, out of the woodwork, um, and that's kind of the way they're the Bills are experiencing it now. It's, it's fan, that is probably as much as anything, given the fact that some of those teams played in the in this stadium in Highmark now it's a different name, obviously. That's the same, but all the training camp stuff that has really changed over the years. You you want to talk about a way to track the growth of the league? The way they run training camps is a good way to measure it. I unfortunately doubt that there is any footage out there of the first Bills training camp. Might be some photos floating around out there, but video footage. Ain't no iPhones out there and in. I'd be pretty surprised um, if there was that. Let's go to Tom in Cheektowaga next. What do you got for us, Tom? Hey, guys. Good afternoon. I have a couple quick stories for you. You talk about the snow fence, Steve. I was out of Fredonia. Uh, I don't know the year, early 80s, and the guys were lining up for under one of the practices, and they started doing kind of like sprints, you know, not crazy, but sprints, and there's all these guys lined up against the snow fence line uh, watching, and Will Grant looks over and says, hey, 
any of us to feel uh, feel like joining in and help yourselves because, in fact, it looks like it might help some of you guys. I thought that was kind of funny, you know. Yeah. And then it's stupid but funny. And then uh, down at St. John Fisher, I went with the high school coaches, and we could be, like, closer to the action. And, you know, I took a football with me, to, the kid and me, to maybe get a couple autographs. And I'm not going to bother people during practice, but Mr. Wilson came out, and he was standing kind of next to me. And, Dick Byer was a high school football coach. He was also like a wrestler from the old days, um, the the mass destroyer destroyer or something. He's going up and down the sidelines, and he's introducing himself to everybody. God rest his soul, kind of annoying, you know. And he's telling everybody this and that. And he comes to me and goes, hey, you know who I am? And I said, yeah, I wouldn't recognize you without your mask or something stupid. And Ralph got a big charge out of that. And he actually said, hey, you want me to sign that football? I said, I think he was annoying Ralph as much as he was annoying me. (laughs) That's a stupid story, but... um, you know, Dick to the store, and God bless his soul. Yeah. Those are my two stories from I the day. I appreciate it. I've got a laugh. You laugh at this. Uh, when I retired, you know, the, there's, the Elio de Paolo's ringside restaurant lounge over there, they threw a retirement party, a little private retirement party for me, and a couple of guys roasted me. Dick the Destroyer was there and gave me, you know, I got, a, I got a Bison's jersey, got a Sabre's jersey. Um, all that stuff is cool. Dick the Destroyer gave me a mask. No way. Yeah, and signed it for me. I've got it in my office. <laughs> I've got a Dick the Destroyer mask in my nice. office. So, yeah, that was from and from way back in the day. All right. Yeah. Look at that. A story bringing out another story. There you go. Let's, uh, let's go to Jeff in Buffalo next. What do you got for us, Jeff? Hey, guys. How are you doing today? Good. Uh, I just wanted to reminisce a little bit about a time uh, where I was actually working in Rochester had a chance to uh, take the afternoon off, invited my uh, girlfriend, our son, into town uh, so that we could attend training camp. Uh, went down there, was able to see a lot of the great uh, old-timers, enjoy the um, the uh, atmosphere, see some of the linebackers lying around. Uh, the days of Takeo Spikes, London Fletcher, the great defensive backs of uh, Terrence McGee, uh, and uh, and I'm not sure if this was the same season or not, but it was a time where uh, when Drew Bledsoe was in town, and obviously at the time, uh, one of the best quarterbacks uh, at the league in the league, uh, maybe in his older seasons. But uh, everyone was coming off field. We were able to sneak in, get some autographs. I happened to notice uh, the quarterbacks, especially Drew, being interviewed by the media. And so I looked and I said, hey, step over here for a second and wait. And most of the guys had already gotten on the buses to uh, go back. So I think I think that day they were uh, at a slightly different field uh, due to something that was going on. Um, but as Drew came off, uh, he was in a hurry, but he saw us. And he was really kind and, and nice enough to sit there and talk to us. And he signed, uh, signed her son's sweatshirt which I thought was a really classy thing for a professional athlete to do. So that's, that's really my, my take yeah. on things. I was an athlete myself, as you guys were, obviously not to the abilities or level that you achieved. But, um, you know, you always want to be that guy, you know, when you get there. So it made me, made me really happy to see that happen. Yeah. yeah. And, Thanks, Jeff. Nice call. Drew, uh, Drew got it. He understood, you know, the role of being a quarterback, not only in terms of being a leader for his teammates, but what it meant to the fans. 
And, you know, people forget when, when he got here via trade, that was big stuff. I mean, they had a, they had like a campaign stage out here in front of the administration building. You know, fans were here with pom-poms and stuff. I mean, it was a big deal. And out at training camp, I think what Jeff's referring to is those first few years when they were redesigning the Fisher campus to better accommodate Bill's training camp, there was still some work being done on one of the fields. So in an effort to not overtax the one field they had at their disposal, they actually went over to East Rochester High School, which is just down East Ave, and practiced on the turf field a couple of times. So I think that's that's the field that Jeff is referencing from training camp. But yeah, Drew and Drew's a hard guy to miss. I mean, <laughs> six foot right. five. You know, he's yeah, easy he's, to spot in a yeah, crowd. Yeah. There aren't that many media members. But that's that kind of that. Those are the kind of stories that you can get at training camp that you don't get other places. Uh, you know, here at one Bills Drive during the week. You know, you got to you know go to the guard shack and you know ask it's on to get lockdown. In. It's on yeah. lockdown. Um, in the day and age in which we live, it's kind of common. So you know, you can't. These guys are sequestered unless you bump into them randomly. Yep. Um, you just don't see them. Uh, but at training camp, I, I would say too that atmosphere is part of the. Total pack. The players understand too. Fans are going to be there. They're going to, you know, going to interact with them. They're going to, you know, they'll be yelling at them. You can hear. You know, it's not like a eighty thousand seat stadium. It's like five thousand, not mm-hmm. even. And you can have conversations with fans, and some guys do. And that doesn't happen a lot. We have to take a break here, but we're going to take more of your phone calls when we come back. Brandon in Buffalo is going to lead us off, along with others holding at eight hundred three zero five fifty. So stay right where you are. We'll get to as many of you as we can. When we return here on One Bills Live, presented by Kaleida Health, it's Buffalo Bills Radio. Going to go right back to the phones here as we are checking in with you, asking what's your favorite part about attending Bills training camp. We've had some uh, good memories shared thus far. Let's go to Brandon in Buffalo for another. What do you got for us, Brandon? Hey, how we doing, guys? Good. Happy camp day. Yeah, to you as well. So um, this this story is hitting me extra special today because uh, it was about my dad, but it was also about camp, and I, I recently lost my dad a couple months ago. So I was thinking about this today, actually, you know, all day today. But um, I remember, I believe it was Doug Flutie's second year, um, and I they, they had a workout at the stadium, or maybe they had a couple camps days at the stadium i i don't remember but i remember you know we had tickets or something to go to the workout at the stadium and doug was off by himself and i was really excited to see doug i was like oh man you know doug flutie and he was he was walking by me and i was like mr flutie can you come sign my jersey and he like looks and he hit and he was just putting his hat on and he walks over and he goes you want me to sign your jersey i said yes please and he goes, all right. And he was trying to get over the the wall, but he couldn't. He couldn't get it because he was short. So security had to boost him up. And he he hopped over and he he got into the seat. And he goes, all right, man. Let me let me sign this jersey. And I and I like, I had a look of horror because I forgot my sharpie somewhere. And I was like eight years old at the time, so I was like freaking out, panicking, like oh, I don't know where my sharpie is. So I look up and I hear my dad whistling, and he's about ten rows up. And he's waving the Sharpie, and he kind of just flicks his wrist, and Doug catches it. And he goes, thanks, Dad. And my dad just smiles and waves. 
and I like in in that brief second, like a crowd started forming. So I was like freaking out, like, oh, my God, I'm not going to get this autograph. And Doug would not sign an autograph until I got mine first. And he signed my jersey and he looks at me and he goes, hey, man. I said, what's up? And he goes, will you hold my helmet for me? And I was like, yeah, could I put it on? And he started laughing and he goes, yeah, man, sure, go ahead. And I and I put it on and and Doug was just really he was a really good guy and and that's like that was one of the coolest memories i had was just sitting there next to doug flutie wearing his helmet while he was signing autographs for everybody hold my helmet oh, hold my <laughs> that's, that's a good call good. brandon yeah nice and yeah a lot I'm of sorry people for have, your loss too. And, and i'm sorry yeah about your father because i know that kind of stuff you know so many people particularly in buffalo um where you grow up and you become a Bills fan because your mom and dad are a Bills fan and your aunts and uncles and your cousins and your teachers and the, the cops and the clerks in the store. Everybody's a Bills fan. And you kind of it kind of becomes part of your heritage. And so many uh, – it a huge percentage of Bills fans, more so, I think, than most other fan bases, track their fanship to their moms, dads, aunts, uncles, and grandparents, all of that stuff. So and, – and when these – these milestones in the calendar like training camp roll around and you remember, you know, or the opening day rolls around, you remember, you know, your dad who took you to the first bill, your first bills game. And you remember your dad who took you to training camp and it's hard for some people. Um, I want to be sensitive to that, but you know, Brandon, thanks for calling. I'm sorry about your dad. I'm glad you have those memories and I'm glad the bills are a part of it. Uh, like they are for so many other bills. fans. Yeah. Let's go to Joe in Amherst next. What do you got for us, Joe? Hey guys, uh, I want to share something with you. I I heard Chris talking about all the places that the Bills have practiced throughout the years, but um, I want to say that I'm 68, so it's a little fuzzy. But you never forget what happened to me. Um, I think it was 64 or five that they were actually practicing in Nichols Field uh, on Colvin and Amherst. Okay. There were no there were no security guards. It was mainly just the kids in the block because that's where we hung out. And uh, I saw Jack Kemp, and I became a fly in his ointment. And I said, Mr. Kemp, Mr. Kemp, throw me a pass. Please throw me a pass. So he finally rifled one from about 35 yards, hit me in the solar plex, knocked me on my butt. I caught it, and I said, thank you, Mr. Kemp. And I just ran away. Then about a half hour later, I'm standing there, I'm bugging Ernie Warlick. And he comes over, and he picks me up like a football because I'm not a big guy now, so I was real small back then. And he ran me around the perimeter of the Nichols Field. It's things you like that you'll never forget. So hold on a second, Joe. You catch the pass. It knocks you on your butt. Did you run off with the ball? No, I just dropped it, and I was just trying to catch my breath. I got you. I wanted, <laughs> I wanted him to know that I wasn't hurt. <laughs> Oh, All that's right. good. That's yeah. pretty good. And that you know, er, that's yeah. some of the old guys too. Yeah, Jack Kemp and early Ernie Warlick are you know, Bills have a lot of lore about them. Yeah, AFL champions. Yeah. So yeah, that's a cool story. I like that one a lot. Uh, we have to step aside here though, because when we come back, we're going to be joined by ESPN NFL reporter Jeremy Fowler. He's been busy this month. He was doing his top ten lists by position after consulting with a host of NFL executives and personnel people around the league. Some bills made some of those lists. We'll go over those lists with Jeremy, along with any news of the day that he's got his ear to the ground on next here on One Bills Live. 
on Bills Live, presented by Kaleida Health. All right, hour number two here on a Tuesday training camp eve for the Buffalo Bills and a bunch of other teams around the league. And a guy who will have his ear to the ground on just about all of it joins us now, ESPN senior national NFL reporter Jeremy Fowler joining us. Jeremy, good to have you back on the show. Thanks for giving us some time before yeah. your your job really gets going into overdrive here for the better part of the next six or seven months. Um, what What is uh, – I know you're going to be making a training camp tour here through the Southeast and the Midwest over the next few weeks. Is, yeah. uh, is there one particular camp that jumps out to you that you're really intrigued to check in on uh, for Ooh. something that's like a burning question in your head right now that you're looking to get answered to some degree? That's a great question. So I would say, you know, I'm starting in Florida, so I would say Miami – and Tampa are both high interest to me uh, because of Miami. Like so they kind of have sneaky big expectations and can Tua put it all together. Uh, you know, Tampa, who's the quarterback going to be? I, I actually think that's still a pretty good roster. I know people are down on Tampa, um, but I'd start there. And then, you know, any of the rookies, the rookie quarterbacks uh, always deepens the intrigue a little bit. So I'll get to uh, stop in Carolina, check out Bryce Young. So should be fun. I was in Buffalo last year. I'm going to try to make it this year, but uh, you know, you got to kind of pick a region and roll with it. Gotcha. Yeah, one of the things you've been doing this offseason, you went out and asked executives, coaches, scouts about the best players in the league. Um, yeah. And I think when you when you talk about that, those guys, those people in that end of it really seem to – the guys they respect on other teams are the ones that worry them the most, right? I mean, right. D- despite whatever stats or whatever else they put up that in a given year – when you line up against that team, they're still the, the only guy they really talk about in the coaching scouting meetings. Or What guys stand out to you when you look at this list that you put together? Yeah, Steve, that's a great point. That's really the underlying theme when you talk to a lot of these teams is, you know, if you're game planning against somebody, who scares you the most? Right. And so that was a really interesting conversation with wide receiver because – Based on production, Justin Jefferson's the best wide receiver. And he ended up being the best in my rankings, but it was really close with Devontae Adams, who we know is a high producer. But then Jamar Chase is a good example because he's – a lot of people think he's the best receiver, even though he doesn't have that production yet. Um, they say he's that classic X receiver that can get – you can put him in any scheme and he's going to be the scariest guy out there. That's sort of like – so it's – it's how do you game who scares you the most and who is the most, I guess we'll call it scheme transcendent. Like they're not reliant on a scheme or a system or players around them. You can plop them in any offense or any defense and they're going to dominate. Right. And look, Josh Allen is, is probably the best athlete on this entire roster. I mean, he's that talented. So I would expect him to naturally have universal respect around the league, but of the four other Bills players who made your top 10 lists. That's Stefan Diggs, mm-hmm. Matt Milano, Von Miller, and Dawson Knox. Which one of those yeah. four do you think was got the most universal respect from the people you were talking to? So, well, first of all, I would probably say Von Miller is the best athlete on the team. Well, maybe yeah. not based on age and injury, but if we're talking yeah. their production as a pro, he is one of the best athletes that the entire league has seen in a long time. So, uh, but Josh Allen's very close. I, I would probably say Allen garnered the most respect because he was a clear number three in my quarterback rankings. It, there was a big fall off after number three. 
So it was Mahomes, Burrow, Allen. Big gap between Mahomes and the two and three guys. And a little bit of a gap between Burrow and Allen. I, I think if with some of the inconsistency from last year, Allen would have made a stronger case for number two. Uh, but he's clearly number three. There really was no question about that. And so, you know, he's po- he's really got, almost got some untapped potential, which is crazy to say based on Hall's production. But he can do even more and climb even higher based on the, the massive upside there. And then, you know, it was, it was a weird year for the Bills on my rankings because I'm used to seeing Tredavious White there. I think just with the injury, the last year and a half has been tough. You know, can he regain his old form? Both safeties have always made a pretty strong case. Poyer, Micah High, they never quite made it. And then yet you essentially had two Bills linebackers in the top 10 with Matt Milano and Tremaine Edmonds, uh, which is a, a really interesting conversation because it shows that teams just simply won't allocate. This doesn't go just for the Bills, but for anybody, they won't allocate two linebackers making more than $10 million a year. It just doesn't really happen or it's hard to do. So the bills, I, I think that was letting Edmonds go was tougher than they let on. Cause this is a guy they drafted and developed. Right. And he became a pro Bowl player and a big money player. And then you have to let him go. That's tough. Yeah. Let's talk about Matt Milano for a minute. It was no question last year. He took a step forward. He's been a really mm-hmm. good player for the bills since day one. I mean, he started early on in his career and his, you can't get him out of the lineup. And then last year, yeah. Um, you know, he really took a giant leap forward. What were some of the comments or what was some of the vibe about him being on that list? Yeah. Well, he's interesting because he's he's so savvy and highly productive. He's, he's always been great against the past, but now he's doing a little bit of everything. Like, you know, I talked to more than one scout who said, like, you'd go into a game and you know he's going to be good, but then you come out of it and he's done everything. You know, he's just stuffed the stat sheet in every area. And, you know, I, I think with that, uh, conversation about who fears you. I don't necessarily think he's a guy that fears teams a whole lot. He's not that huge athlete, um, but he's now just a guy who's so well-rounded a little bit like Fred Warner in that just how smart he is uh, and can really dissect what a defense is doing and anticipate really well. We, Steve and I were talking about this on the show yesterday, Jeremy, and you know, we know you're kind of plugged in on this kind of stuff. The Chris Jones holdout now, um, yeah, 50,000 a day. And we're also thinking about it from this perspective. He wants $30 million a year, according to reports like your own and yeah. others, uh, wants to be like the second highest paid behind Aaron Donald. He'll accept that, but that's about it, it seems. And just last year, the Chiefs balked at paying Tyreek Hill $30 million a year, Granted, on the other side of the ball yeah. where the quarterback resides. So I don't know if that changes anything, but do you do you see this as a Chiefs philosophical approach where, hey, we're not breaking the bank on anybody but the quarterback to this degree? Or or is because he's on the defensive side of the ball, might the Chiefs feel differently about paying somebody like Chris Jones thirty million a year as opposed to Tyreek? Yeah, we're going to see how far they're willing to go because I, I don't know they're ever willing to go to $30 million, uh, But I will say that they've prioritized re-signing him. They planned to do this. They were hopeful to get it done around training camp or a few days after. So when uh, the money and the gap in the money became pretty obvious, now they have some work to do. And I don't know that he needs to match Aaron Donald's number or where, whatever it is, but I know that he wants to be much closer to, to the Aaron Donald stratosphere of defensive tackles than the rest of the class, which is not kind of low to mid 20 millions per year. 
And can they bridge the gap? I mean, they're going to work at it. And I think that they will. Talking to people around the league, they expect him to be a chief and, and to get something done. He's not really a hot name on the trade market. Where Tyreek, like, they just figured, hey, we're going to cut our losses here. Uh, we have Patrick Mahomes, who can really make it work with a lot of different receivers. And Travis Kelsey's our main guy. Uh, this, I think, is a little different because the Chiefs' defense is pretty young. And this guy came into a class of his own this last year. Uh, with 15 and a half sacks. And I mean, you could argue he's as productive or maybe more productive than Aaron Donald yeah. just in the last year or two. I mean, Donald's been the premier player of that position, no doubt. Uh, but Jones is, you know, he's bridged that gap a little bit. He got a lot of number one votes in the, the process that I did for defensive tackle. So considering the importance of that position, it's just a, it's a guy you pay. So I think they'll work it out. Yeah. It's interesting because Brownie has, my partner here has been, we've been clamoring about the defensive tackles that have all gotten paid this year. And certainly Chris Jones is one of the guys that deserves it. He's played extremely well. And now you see this movement and it's starting for the first time, I think around not, not for the first time, but more markedly now that we see the running back position be devalued, the defensive tackle has become a money position, defensive end and edge rusher, pass rusher has been a money position. You have like three or four positions that are really premium spots and then you have a spot like running back, maybe who's the first position in the league to be like, wow, we don't need that guy. Right. And the problem is, I think a lot of cases, they feel like they do need that guy. Uh, tell Cleveland to take Nick Chubb off their roster right now and see how they feel about their chances. You know, like uh, he was carrying that team last year when they were winning games. And so it's just the you're as good as the market tells you you are regardless of how good you are like some of the running backs are some of the best players in the entire league but um, it's just the nature of the position it's, a, it's i mean it's a combination of things in a long discussion but um, teams feel like well if we had to be productive uh with a fifth round pick or a third round pick or an undrafted guy at running back we probably could aside from the few special guys that's why i was really surprised that Saquon Barkley and Josh Jacobs didn't get deals done because these were top five guys in their position. And, you know, it was tricky because Barkley got offered a contract that had he taken it, it probably would have looked good on paper in the splash reports. And, you know, I mean, it probably would have been leaked as probably $13 million a year or so. But the details of the contract and, you know, the ask of like having to pay out per year roster bonuses instead of guaranteed money, you know, things he would have to earn. So it was a flimsy deal on paper in his eyes. It just makes it tough to take. So um, it, it was a combination of a, a lot of factors. I think maybe if it was a different team, they would have tried to pay one of these guys a fair deal. You know, like like the Colts of Jonathan Taylor is going to be fascinating because, you know, he's a pretty, really productive back. He's been a top guy. He didn't have a great year last year, but the offensive line was bad. And the Colts have a precedent for paying their players in-house. Like they, if they draft a guy and you do well, they're going to pay you. So – that's a really good litmus test. I just – I don't think it's completely broken. I think that Jacobs and Barkley got deals that would have looked okay on paper. They just wouldn't have been great. So it wouldn't have moved the ball forward. And they, they chose to be selective, and that's a, a credit to them. But it's like on the other side, what do you do now? You know, there's just not a lot of options for those guys. Well, the question is, too, between the difference between a, a Christian McCaffrey, Saquon Barkley, a Jonathan Taylor, and that – maybe those top – four, and, and maybe a, a Derrick Henry, let's say – is there that much of a drop-off between them and this fifth-round guy you're hypothetically talking about? Is the drop-off that much because there's so – you know, when they're young and coming up, these guys are the guy. They become running backs 
because they're the best guy with the ball in their hands in the lower levels. Yeah. And so they, they get up there, and the difference between the best guys and the elite guys and the just above-average guys isn't big enough to right. justify the bigness, big difference in the money. Yeah, that's part of it. I still think there's that small crop of players that are a little different, you know. Um, and Saquon, I'd put in that class. And a peak Derrick Henry, maybe not as much now at this age, but uh, certainly in his prime. You know, Nick Chubb right now. Christian McCaffrey. So, I mean, look at what the 49ers gave up for McCaffrey. Gave up a lot of draft capital to get him in for the right to pay him his salary, which is, you know, $16 million per year on his deal. So, it's just... Teams saw that as an outlier. They saw that, you know, winning championships behind a mediocre quarterback, but a top five pick at running back just doesn't happen very often. You know, it's usually the reverse or it's just a position you can do by committee. And it might not be as good, but you might be 85% as good, which can get it done. You know, the, the CBA says you got to pay it. You got to spend a certain amount of money per year. It doesn't say how you have to allocate that money. Right. You know, so that's the problem, and there's no salary cap for those guys. So I just I, I don't know what recourse there is uh, right now, unless they can just put it, some new deals on the table that look decent. Yeah, because you know we had heard about the meeting of the minds between these disgruntled running backs, along with their players' association representatives, to try to make heads yeah. or tails of what's unfolding here. And you know, the general consensus we're hearing back from those players, I think Nick Chubb sat in on it and addressed the Cleveland media the other day and basically said there's nothing we can do. Um, do you ever envision, and I'm not talking about in a year or two, but maybe way down the line, maybe even in the next CBA, where there can be enough players at a given position, you know, running back, for example, where they push the Players Association to enact kind of like a positionless wage scale and go more on p production. We always hear about positionless football. We're getting to positionless football. Look at these guys. They play different positions and everything, more so on the defensive side of the ball, granted. But I, I don't know how you find a fix for these running backs unless the game dramatically swings back in their favor, and I don't think any of us foresee that. Is there any, is there any leg to stand on for the Players Association to help their own players, you know, their own members, to do better. Well, certainly they're going to have to exhaust those avenues, but you can't do anything until 2030. I mean, yeah. the CBA is locked in. It's the problem with doing a 10 year deal. You know, um, you're sort of stuck in it. Now I know the NFL has strong interest in doing a separate salary cap for like a, a top player or a top earner, or in most cases, the quarterback, um, you know, because that money is getting so obscene. If you could separate it from your normal salary cap, it'd help you build the roster around them where that's the challenge for teams right now. That to me is probably a more pressing issue, at least from the league level, uh, than helping the running backs. But certainly they're gonna have to come up with a formula, the players union that is, to try to, to help those guys. You know, there's uh money reserved in that performance pool. I know my colleague Dominique Foxworth mentioned that. You know, yeah. there's millions of dollars that guys get based on playtime on the rookie deals. Maybe you could allocate some of that uh to incentivize running backs. But it just it shouldn't have to be that way. You shouldn't have a market go backwards when the cap is going up the way it is, you know, tight ends been that way for a while. Yeah. Uh, you know, George Kittle still has the highest contract at the tight ends, I believe. And he did his deal, what, three years ago. So that's another position and they catch more passes and are probably more valuable than ever. Uh, so, you know, for whatever reason, those positions get put in a tough spot and, you know, they're, they, they can't really unionize on their own. I don't know how they do that. Maybe they can, but, 
Um, they're going to have to brainstorm and, and have more Zoom calls probably to figure this out. <laughs> well, the problem is, I mean, you can get a bunch of running backs, elite running backs to band together and say, hey, we're not going to do it. But you're going to have a lot of guys on the street who have played in the NFL who want to get back in or get a job and who'll say, listen, I'll do it for that kind of money. And yep. if you're going to give the running backs a bigger piece of the pie, which group are you going to take it from to get them to say, yeah, okay, you can have our money? I mean, it's just not going to happen. Yeah. It's right. And it's look at the bills right now. You got James Cook, right? What is he, a third round pick, I believe? Mid round pick? Second uh, round. Second round pick, yeah. He's second round. That's right. But a day two pick, talented guy. Like he might have a huge year. He might break out and be a superstar. And then you're paying him 800000 a year, whatever it is, a million dollars. It's just that calculation for teams is really enticing, where it's just harder to get that kind of production at edge rusher you know, with like a third or fourth round pick. Yeah. So it, right. it's it's unfortunately the numbers game that occurs. Before we let you go, Jeremy, just wanted to get your take on, you know, the Bills roster as a whole. We know you kind of pour over these as we get close to training camp around the league. And, you know, yeah. to no one's surprise, the Bills have been kind of under the radar this offseason. And after all of the yeah. Super Bowl favorite touting last year, they probably have no problem with that. Uh, and we understand, you know, the Rodgers deal is going to grab all the headlines and people want to anoint them yeah. the new favorite in the AFC East. And people are high on the Dolphins, as you mentioned, which is a camp you'll be hitting. Um, but there are a lot of people in Western New York that actually think the Bills roster is better this year, deeper, yeah. more talented than it was last year. Where where do you come down on that? Mm-hmm. I could see that argument in some spots. Uh, if Dalton Kincaid is as good as I think he's going to be, um, which, you know, he very well might be a top 10 tight end in the league by the end of the year. I mean, he's really talented. So uh, if he comes out and does what I think he could, then yes, I think on, on offense, uh, they have a chance to say that. The, the defense, it's getting a little old in spots. I mean, like they, you know, I, I'm not ready to say that about the defense yet. Even though they've always been really good, they've been solid. Um, you know, like with with Hyde and Poyer in the back end, they're always going to be, Discipline, tough, physical, making plays. Um, a lot of those guys are getting older. Bob Miller coming off the ACL, like it's, it's probably going to take some time. You know, Leonard Floyd's a good add. So I just, you know, they're going to have to probably play a rookie or somebody young at the linebacker spot. So I need to see a little more. Offensive line, probably need to see a little bit more. You know, I know, I know they have big plans for Spencer Brown. You know, what is he? Uh, is he going to be a, a guy who can hit his ceiling or not this year? You know, so um, and based on what they've added, Damian Harris two tight end sets that can do now, are they going to keep teams honest uh, at least with some 12 personnel and some running game and mix it up? uh, So Josh Allen doesn't have to run it a gazillion times. What do you think is next? We've seen this trend and we've talked about it. Um, Certainly the bills are, are, have made it clear in their off season rhetoric and some of that, that you're always trying to look forward and see where the trends are heading. Um, And you certainly, we could make a case that the, the running back, as we've been talking about, have been trending down. Uh, the premier positions are getting paid. That kind of, But what about on the field? Uh, the Bills look like they're going you know, two tight ends maybe more than they have. They were the least running two tight end running offense in the league. Now they yeah. may not. That may change. Uh, where do you see those trends headed with personnel groupings and that kind of uh, you know, tactical decisions? Yeah, well, it's trendy, right? I mean, the Rams did it a lot when they were winning big. Um you know, one back, two tight ends is just kind of what, what's been trendy the last few years. So I think uh, you, you'll continue to see that until defenses adjust. I mean, last year, teams were forced to run the ball more because uh, teams were staying deep on the pass with two safeties. So it's like, 
So they had to run to sort of loosen defenses up. Now, will that continue or will that adjust and the passing numbers will go back up? You know, it's just that, that chess game calls for a lot of different offenses and styles of play. Uh, and the Bills have the personnel to do creative things and, and do that a little differently, you know? So uh, it's just, I, I think there's a feeling league-wide though, that a lot's been placed on Josh Allen uh, mentally and physically, and he probably wore down a little bit last year, you know? So is he going to get enough help and are they going to uh, design the offense to help him and maximize that. Jeremy, thanks for the time. As always, good luck on your training camp tour. We'll be keeping an eye out on ESPN.com and ESPN to see some of your yeah. reports uh, through the course of the summer here. Take care. Awesome. Thanks, guys. Appreciate it. All right, that's thanks, Jeremy, Jeremy. Fowler, Jeremy Fowler, ESPN senior NFL reporter, joining us here. Uh, and I, that's why I always ask, Steve, the national guys, you know, we, we're so close to it. You know, we suffer from Bill's myopia. So I always want to get like a fresher mm -hmm. 10,000 feet above the fray kind of take. And I understand, you know, why he said what he said about the Bills roster. It is older in some spots. Yeah, that's, that's valid. You, there's no denying that. I mean, you know, Von Miller's entering his age 33 season, I think. And Poyer and Hyde. Poyer and Hyde are 31 and 32 respectively. And there's a middle linebacker spot that has to be addressed. And it's probably not going to be addressed with a proven player. So I, I get what he's saying. And, look, I think the additions on the offensive line are very encouraging for the Bills. But a reporter like Jeremy Fowler is going to say, well, they got to show me in the games that count come September, October, November, December. So I understand why there's question marks out there for people looking at this from 10,000 feet up. Yeah, I, I, and I'll say this, too. I mean, he did He say he want to see something from the offensive line. I'm I don't know that anybody – the most under-the-radar signing of the entire offseason has been Connor McGovern. It's the biggest contract the Bills handed out. And I have yet to hear one national guy say, oh, yeah, you know what, they, they – and with Osiris Torrance as well. Um, that has yet to even be a blip on the radar of the media at large is the investment they did put into the offensive line, along with, you know, David Edwards and Brandon Shell. Man, that's a lot of effort up front that I never even hear mentioned when people are looking at the Bills roster. Um, I get it, too. It's not like, you know, they're signing Von Miller like they did last year. It's, it's a different animal than that. But still, I, I think sometimes those early signings in free agency sometimes go under the radar. It took months for me to realize Von Miller was number 40. I saw people running around with Miller number 40. I thought it was their own name on the back. I forgot. <laughs> you know, you forget that the guy. Terry got, Miller? Who, who's, oh, that guy's name must be Mark Miller or something, whatever. I go, oh, no, that's Vaughn. We got Vaughn Miller on our team. So I think, <laughs> I, I think certainly when you're talking about a guard instead of an edge rusher, that can happen to people. But I'm, that is the one area uh, around, about the Bills offseason that I think has gotten a zero attention from the media at large. I would tend to agree with that. Um, and, yeah, there are some things that have to come together. But at the same time, I think you can say that about a lot of the other teams, not just in the division, but in the conference. That's You yeah. know, like people are like, oh, Cincinnati's going to be awesome again. And it's like you realize they lost Jesse Bates and Von Bell. Like both of their starting safeties are not there anymore. I mean, that defense is not going to look the same on the back end. Right. How are they going to adjust to that? You know, so 
you know, is Lou Anarumo calling the same kind of defenses without Jesse Bates back there, who is a supremely versatile chess piece and a perennial all-pro? It's going to look different. Yeah. I mean, it is. Uh, you know, and you could say the same thing about Miami. How quickly is that group going to morph and change in a new system, you know, under Vic Fangio? I mean, look, Vic Fangio comes in with He's got some chops. Really, really good yes. credentials. Like yeah. half the league is playing his defensive system now. But is that talent all going to fit that? We'll see. But it's a that's a big question mark. There's talent on that roster. I don't think there's anybody debating that. But new systems, as we have seen, take time sometimes to implement in a way that leads to consistent down-in, down-out, series-in, series-out, week-in, week-out play. How long does that take to materialize in Miami? You know, that's a big question for them. How long does it take Aaron Rodgers to develop chemistry with his receiving core? Is his offensive line going to be worth a damn and keep him healthy and upright? Right. Like, you, you can run down the list for every team in the league, and I think what the Bills have that these other contenders in the division don't is that measure of continuity, you know, in terms of the roster up and down, because it is largely the same. Yeah, at this point, right before training camp starts, every team is full of optimism and equally full of question marks, uh, stuff you don't know. Bills do have a lot of new faces. Now, certainly they're new faces with some credibility and some, and some chops behind them, just like the Miami Dolphins and their new coordinator and the New England Patriots and their new offensive coordinator, the Bills, and having a different offense, a defensive coordinator. Um, it, it, around the league, there's stuff like that on every team, and it none of it stops each fan base from being as optimistic as possible. I'm looking at our friend Armando Salguero. He's he's reporting the Bears fans are thinking, "This is it, man. This is our we're going." The Bears, who were the worst team in the league last year, yeah. there's optimism in Chicago. <laughs> okay, it's that time of year. We'll see. We'll see. Um, I'm 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 sticking with these this group here in this building. They yeah. they have they are on a mission and they look good and they are flying under the radar with a very big engine. I like the sound of that. We have to step aside here, take a break. When we come back, more of your phone calls at 803-0550-1888-550-2550. Favorite part about camp? Got a training camp memory you want to share? Feel free to fire it off at us. We'll crack open the tweet sheet as well when we return here on One Bills Live, presented by Collider Health. It's Buffalo Bills Radio. All right, here we are on One Bills Live. Chris Brown, Steve Tasker, talking about best part of training camp for you that you remember. Good uh, memories, interesting memories, crazy circumstances that you may have witnessed out there at training camp. Let's go back to the phones and to Josh in East Aurora. What do you got for us, Josh? Hey guys, how are you? Good. So, um, yeah, I actually, um, I played football for St. John Fisher College and uh, I was a starting left tackle. And so the one story that stands out to me is we were, I was in the weight room, like there was a little bit of overlap when the Bills and uh, us were working out at the same time. And so there was a little bit of overlap. And so I was in the weight room testing my max bench squat and everything like that. And I hear this super loud pounding from the fire exit door. And um, so it, it keeps going on five minutes, five minutes. And like, um, I eventually, someone, like someone is supposed to enter the door. So I eventually do. 
and it's uh it's Richie Incognito at the door. And granted, I'm um I'm six four. I'm an offensive lineman, or I played offensive lineman in college, so I'm a big dude. And he comes storming through, and uh, I'm so awestruck. And he's just you know, Lottie flipping dog. Glad you took your gosh darn time. And you know, just uh, with a little more choice words than that. And uh, I don't know, it just stood out to me. It was my first interaction with a Bills player, and I was so like starstruck. It was just uh, it was just a really cool experience, honestly. Yeah, that's uh, that's always fun. I. Uh when young football players get a chance to interact with pro players for the first time, there's always this little bit of sizing them up, you know, mm-hmm. um, am I that big? Am I that strong? Is how good can he be? You know, that kind of thing and how you kind of assess and everybody can do this. You ever, it, it's human nature. You assess the gap between where you are in your life and your careers to where that guy is. Particularly if you're an, a, le- a college left tackle looking at Richie Incognito, who's a, a an all pro guard for the Bills, and you're looking at him kind of like going, "Okay, he's a little bit, yeah, what about this, a little taller, maybe you know that kind of thing." And then to see the and you know, Richie was was a, a character, yeah. So to you know to put it mildly, he was a wild card. So he come, yeah, he's a wild card. So he but you know you can imagine him busting in like a saloon with swinging doors, like. <laughs> You know, what's going? He's ready to go in and clear the bar. Who's out, right? ready for the shootout at noon? Why didn't you answer the door when I knocked? Right, kind of thing. Right. So, uh, kind of a cool story. Every all pro players probably have a story like that when they, you know, they first, you know, bust into the league or get a, a chance yeah. to rub up against closely with some pro players and how it goes. It's something you kind of never forget. Let's check out the tweet sheet. Haven't done that yet. Tweet sheet brought to you by Corrigan Moving Systems, the official equipment moving company of the Buffalo Bills. And uh, Bills News Consolidated, when uh, posed this question, your favorite part about attending training camp, he said, Marshawn Lynch interview with that kid when he said his favorite part of practice was afterwards when they would stretch his groins. Okay. Well, I Yeah. I imagine if you're uh, a little stiff, any good stretch is a good stretch. From Kronkster, chatting with yours truly, Steve in Fredonia, and watching Ted Washington sign a glove, toss it to a kid who missed the catch, and Ted's glove covered the entire kid's face. Huge. Yeah, Ted was the dude. I remember shaking Ted Washington's hand and watching mine disappear up we've to had, my wrist. We've had Ted on the show here. Yeah. And, and when he's in, when we have, we, have the, we have these, you know, these raised platforms where we sit on regular desk chairs because yeah. it's more comfortable. But when we have guests in, we move the platforms out and bring in bar stools, right, the, the high chairs. It looks the same for people watching us on TV, but we move the furniture around. So yeah. Ted comes in and sits on <laughs> said bar stool. And, I mean, you want to talk about, like, Dr. Seuss sitting on a little thing, you know, a big elephant sitting on a little thing that I thought that barstool had no shot at holding up when he yeah. got down, when he sat down on it. And plus, it's got ro- wheels on it, too. So he starts to sit down, it starts to roll. And I'm thinking, man, if he, if he goes, if Ted goes down, we ain't getting him up, you know. Right. But, <laughs> yeah, he never, the, the guy comes on the, sh- Ted's just a big dude. And yep. I, I've said it a million times. We see big guys all the time. We're in the building. We see Spencer Brown, who's 6'8". You know, we see um, Greg Rousseau, 6'7". And we see guys like, you know, 
Jordan Phillips, and we see Daquan Jones. They're big. They're all big dudes. You know, they're all big guys. You know, Connor McGovern, big dude. They're all. It in all the years I played, Ted Washington was the only guy I never got used to how big he was. I think it's because it wasn't because he was tall. He was so massive. he's six four. I know, but he was just so massive. He was massive side to side, yeah. and he was massive front to back. Yes, and, but it. But he was. But his forearms he were was, big. His hands block, were big. He was block big. He wasn't like a round. He wasn't like an apple sitting on a toothpick. He was big from. He was a refrigerator big. He was like Volkswagen Beetle big, like big all the way from the top to the bottom. Yeah. He was like a Volkswagen bus. Even his neck was big. Like his ears were big. Like everything. The soles of his feet were big. Yeah. I mean that he was, and he he moves. With an E, yeah. he does not struggle to walk around. He does not struggle to sit down, stand up, move around. He moves with an ease. And a, there's a fluidity to him that um, is not befitting of a person his size. The weight was not a thing for him. He was fine. And I remember Rusty Jones, he said, we were talking about guys doing bench press, and Ted's in there doing 450 bench. I literally. <laughs> and, and Rusty just goes, well, I just, I just had him do 450. And because if he really wanted to, there's just there's like it was limitless. Whatever yeah. he wants to do, he could probably do if he worked at it. It's just there's just no end. There's no top end to how strong he is. Right. And he was, he's a monster. He is absolutely. Um, he'll and I've heard I've talked to Bruce and Andre and Thurman and other and James Lofton, um, other Hall of Fame type guys who are guys who are in the Hall of Fame about Ted, because he played for like 17 or 19 he played forever almost 20 years he yeah. played almost 20 years at that position be, yes at the most brutal position in all of pro sports he played for 20 years and never not a single time in his career was the defense he played nose tackle for outside the top five and run defense he was just an impossible guy to move and you think why why doesn't a guy like that get more hall of fame consideration because he was absolutely dominant he won a, a world long time. He won a world championship in New England. He went up there late in his career, won a world championship there. He was here and absolutely dominated here. Uh, he was a first-round draft pick for the 49ers. He was, ab- he was a great player. And it comes down to this. The reason he doesn't get the consideration, that we're, you know, the Hall of Fame consideration that we're talking about, which he really does should, is because he, he didn't rush the passer. That's it. It's that statistic for a defensive lineman, no matter what they do, that's the only statistic that will get them noticed by Hall of Fame voters. And, it, and I think that's wrong. Ted was an absolutely great and dominant player for his entire 19-year career. Yeah. He was something else. And, you know, I, I just – I feel bad for him. I, you know, not all that bad because the guy, you know, Yeah, but you could not – you could not run on you this You couldn't team when move he, him. You could not run on the Bills when he was there. You could had, not. You had to run around him. You had to run around him. If the ball was snapped, the line of scrimmage never went backwards. And he's two yapping every snap. He he. And they're still playing a three four. You then. could not move him off the line of scrimmage. It was like he's the guy that is the quintessential guy that if you're going to try and move him, you you can't do it with a bulldozer. Yeah. He he won't move. He's like a tree stump. And so, um, and to see, hear the guy say that, you know, taking his glove off, signing it, and throw it in a kid's face, and it covers the whole kid's face, I'm telling you. 
There ain't no lie. There's some. There's a. There's a handful. You know, and I got to start thinking about this because I get asked a lot. And there's a short list of players that are unique in my entire career and my experience. Bruce is obviously one of those guys. Deion Sanders was one of those guys. Bo Jackson was one of those guys. Eric Dickerson was one of those guys. Barry Sanders. I think I think Ted Washington might have to go on that list. Wow. You know what I mean? That's select company. There. It really is. They're guys who, when people talk about them, you've heard me say it, they whisper about that guy. Yeah. They don't want to talk out loud. <laughs> Because it's he was fun you know, to watch. I'll say that. Yeah, he was a he was a dynamite player. I you know here we are going off on him just because of one of the callers. Yeah, that's yeah, my I got lots to say about Ted Washington. Man, he's a he's a dude. Let's get back to the tweet sheet. Connor says my favorite was when the Pagula family purchased the Buffalo Bills and St. John Fisher was littered with these signs. Great day for all Bills fans, and it's what started the current era of Bills football. We all get to enjoy now. Go Bills! Yeah, that's a good point. It's a good point, Connor. Well taken. Um, and there's the sign that was out there at camp. Uh, in Terry we trust. Hashtag in Terry we trust. Yeah. So yeah, that, that was yeah it was a, it was a feel good time for the organization because its future had been secured when it had been yeah. up for debate for so long. There was yeah there was only one group that was in the bidding that you knew were never going to take the team out of Buffalo and that was the ones who actually bought it and that's Terry and Kim and that's good for, good for us. Here's uh, probably my favorite one, Steve, from Spidey. He says, when they, when they were in Fredonia during the Super Bowl years, drinking with the players at local pubs. There you go. <laughs> uh, I'll just be quiet. Yeah, I, well, I figured you'd plead the fifth on that one, so I'm not surprised. We are, we are going to take a break here, but we've got a couple more <laughs> thoughts from the tweet sheet uh, coming up. When uh, we return to close things up for our final show here at One Bills Drive for the foreseeable future. We'll, uh, we'll be back in a second here on One Bills Live, presented by Collider Health. It's Buffalo Bills Radio. segment for us here on one bills live some final thoughts on training camp a eh, favorite thing that you remember or enjoyed about training camp and your time visiting it over the years and mike says just interacting with the players and the to hype was fun too hmm. need my kids to get older so i look less like the weird adult trying to say what's up i remember the to hype that was through that the was real. roof. The that guy got a real. key to the city before he played a game. That was real. And then, while we were at camp, they unveiled the Terrell Owens cereal, T.O.'s. I remember we had to go to a – there was like a big old press conference at a local grocery store there to advertise the release of the cereal, T.O.'s. You know, and Terrell's there. He's hawking the boxes of cereal. It was – there was like 50 media members there for a serial unveiling. Let me just say, that right there is quintessential drought management. <laughs> you are 100% right. That is quintessential drought management. Mm -hmm. That you, they were, it was all about hope and marketing. Open and hype. Just selling hype, man. They, Open hype. 
Oh my goodness! Remember the 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 me is a meme now where it's a it's one of the made for television movies where Hitler's in his bunker and he kind of goes off, and they use oh it yeah from a, the movie and, yes yes and Torello and they said hey t- you know the Bills just signed Torello and Hitler loses his mind because yeah. he's a Bills fan. It's a meme now, but yeah they spoofed it. They spoofed it. Um, that's what it was like. It was just that is that is so. In the dark pits of the drought, it's right smack in the middle of it. Oh my gosh! It is, it is irretrievably, irretrievably selling hope and hype. That's what they did. Yeah, yeah that's what the, the team was relegated to doing for a lot, a lot of years. Last one here from Jack. Meeting Sam Gash at Fredonia training camp in '98. I was in high school, and lines were too long for an autograph after the first practice. Went to lunch in the village, in between sessions with my dad, and he came into the joint we were in. He was very nice, sat and talked with us for more than 10 minutes, made a fan that day. Sam Gash, great dude. Good, good dude. Solid great person. Dude. Yeah, it was, uh, was going to be great. going to be great with having him on there. And he came in the year after I retired, so he and Thurman became close. And yeah. it was fun, fun to watch. Thanks for all the submissions today, kind of taking us down memory lane at training camp. We're going to make some new memories this summer. That's it. Our show will be out there tomorrow, so be sure to wave high if you're out at training camp. We'll be on the air from 1 to 3, giving you full coverage of the first day at camp, including the first practice on the field. We'll see you tomorrow.